That wild card weekend in baseball is exactly why I do not want to get into the picks game. And you know what? I'm a sports better and everything like that. I bet spreads and stuff. But man, oh man, I do not want to be betting series or betting games like that ever again. Baseball is so hard for me to bet just because everything is kind of random. I mean, we had a 15-inning ball game that ended one nothing on Sunday, Saturday over the weekend, and it was uh, it was abysmal. It was abysmal. I did not I did not enjoy watching that game, and uh, and I went one and three on my wild card picks in the last episode. So you know, big round of applause. I don't think I will be. Uh, you know, on your next Fox show or ESPN show, you know, making the picks uh, for baseball wildcard games or the divisional series. I don't think you'll see me there, but this is the great thing about baseball too. I, I think mainly a lot of sports in general, you can be as knowledgeable as you want on the subject of baseball or whatever, or sports. And you can make these picks. I could be Tim Kirchin for every, for as anybody, anybody that knows baseball more than Tim Kirchin. There, there's not many people who do know more more about baseball than Tim Kershaw, just in general as a historical standpoint. And you can go 0 for 4 in making his picks in in the divisional round or the the wild card round. Now, I, you know, I don't think he makes very many picks either. He's more of a reporter, obviously. But and that's just the, that's the game, you know. That's that's how it works sometimes. You know what? I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I'll take the one and three. I'll take the lashing on the back, and we'll move on. Okay, not a big deal. Whatever. One and three. You know, I got one right. All right. And I got one. Shout out the Guardians. Thank you for saving me there. Even though it was 15 innings uh, and it was about it was about six innings. I wish I'd gotten back. But thank you for winning that game. And thank you for making me sound at least one right one correct compared to all the other series that I predicted, which was a disaster. So, you know what? Whatever. We'll take it. Welcome. To the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host today, James Timberlake. Um, we're going to talk baseball, obviously. We're going to get more into the wild card divisional or the wild card rounds and wrap up that round as we get into the divisional series. The divisional games are going on as we speak. I think the Astros and the Mariners are playing right now as I'm recording this, so we'll see how that game turns out, that game one turns out. Um, but yeah, uh, we're going to talk about that. we got a you know a weekend of football to wrap up and such, so we're going we're gonna to get right into it right now. Let's talk what shall we talk first, ladies and gentlemen? Since we introed baseball, should we start with baseball? I think we start with baseball. Okay. Um, uh, Guardians, Guardians versus Rays. That was uh, game one was okay. Game two was abysmal. I never wanted to watch that game again. I never, you know, I wasn't a huge advocate for the starting the man on second base in extra innings for the most part. I mean, I liked the idea, I think, just because it made extra innings a lot more interesting than just starting from scratch because there wasn't. You know, there wasn't any improvement on, not improvement, but I guess more an adjustment to the game as it went longer than its full capacity as it should be its full capacity, if that makes sense. And I like the extra innings rule for the most part, but I wasn't a huge advocate for it. You know, I liked having the runner on second base, but I wasn't going to be like, okay, if they got rid of it, this is the end all be all, you know, this is making baseball worse. But then I watched that Guardians game versus the Rays in that wild card game. And oh my God, please, for the love of all things holy. Bring back the extra innings rule. Oh my God, I can't sit through 15 innings of baseball anymore. Okay, I thought I used to, but then I was a, I was given the extra innings rule for a, for a brief amount of time, and I love that rule. It is so much more fun to watch baseball in that situation, in extra innings, when there's always something on the line every single half inning. You already have a guy at second. Everybody is already nervous about bringing that guy around. I think it makes the game so much more interesting in extra innings than just having 
you know, the guys come up just like in any other inning and we're just going for an extra six innings of a baseball game that is already too long and is already, you know, boring enough because, and I'm a baseball fan. I I love watching baseball for the most part. I think I could watch, you know, I, I didn't watch a lot of it towards the back half of the season, mainly because my team was bad. Boston Red Sox, they were terrible. Um, but I think I would be more appreciative to have watching the game, especially in a game like that where, I mean, they were obviously the other thing is they're starting that game at like 11 a.m. their time. So then we're messing with the shadows basically all afternoon, which made the offense look terrible from both sides of the from both teams. And I think I mean, obviously, that wasn't the the main problem, but that was part of it. I mean, having shadows in a baseball game like that is, uh, you know, there that that game is so already so so detail oriented and difficult, especially when hitting a baseball. If you're throwing something like the lighting changing halfway between the plate and the pitcher's mound, it's going to be almost impossible to hit the baseball. So of course that was going to be a problem. I wish we didn't have to watch that game in the middle of an afternoon where we could clearly see the shadows affecting the baseball and affecting the hitters. And then we had to wait another six innings until something cool happened. Even a run was scored before a run was even scored. We had to wait. We had to wait an extra six innings to the maximum capacity of the game to the game's limit of nine innings. We had to wait an extra six innings until we actually got a run and it was cool that it was a walk-off but man that game had me wishing and wanting the second baseman uh the 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 runner on second rule and extra innings back even if there was the runner on first i think i would like it back that way more to be honest with you because then you're not giving the whole advantage over to the uh to to the offensive side you're giving it you know at least a little bit of an advantage to the offensive side but if you get a ground ball on defense you get a double play then we're back at zero runners on base i mean i think I think that would be something that people would, uh, at least both sides of the baseball, both both teams would appreciate if we added something like that in. I think I think it just makes the game more fun when we had the runner on second base and extra innings. It just feels like such a slog because the game is already so long and it's 0-0 heading into the 14th inning of a baseball game. I just, it's, I, I watched pretty much, I think I watched all the way up until the... Until they brought Kluber in, I think was when I stopped watching. Not necessarily anything against Kluber. It's just I was to the point where I was like, "Oh my god, okay, I can't keep watching this for the. I can't keep doing this for this much longer. This is kind of ridiculous." Plus, they're battling with. If it, I believe it was on Saturday, if I remember correctly, on Saturday they're battling with college football and the juxtaposition from watching you know a high octane college football game that is fast, people are scoring back and forth, you know that sort of thing from college football to baseball where I'm having to sit here and wait for something to happen after it's zero to zero, 15 innings into the game. You know, there's a pretty big juxtaposition there that is hard to get people to grasp onto going from a super high powered, you know, scoring match that is usually college football to a very boring zero zero game heading into the 15th inning of a baseball game where there's barely been any offense. It's hard to get people to go from that, that side to college football over to baseball. So I think it would just be better. I mean, they're battling with the worst situation they could be in of their own design, by the way. I mean, they've been playing in October in the middle of college football season since I was, you know, before, obviously way before I was born when they first invented the idea of having the World Series in October, which, you know, we all know my opinion on that where they should shorten the season. It's going to be impossible to draw people away from football this time of year to go watch a baseball game that is going in, you know, that is uh, not an, not exactly an offensive output that uh, people want to watch. So that was my opinion on that game. I was just like, what are we doing? You know, I was like, please just put just let's just make up the rule as this game is going on. Just put a runner on second base. It may be even if it's not like 
you know, immediate, like right into the 10th inning, they have to have a runner on second base. Make it like the the 12th inning. Once they hit the 12th inning, they have to have the runner on second base. I'm okay with that. I can live with that. I mean, give me an extra three three innings in between. And if we hit the 12th inning, okay, the runner starts on second base because this is getting a little too long. You know what I mean? Because that is the thing they're battling with most is trying to keep people's attention. And when you have a 0-0 game going that long, nobody wants to keep watching that unless you're a diehard Guardians fan or a diehard Rays fan or whatever. Then you know, obviously you're going to stick with the team, but as a, you know, outsider looking in, I don't want to watch that. You know, I, I'm sitting here doing nothing for, for, for an extra hour and a half while trying to get this game over with so they can move on to the next game. It's just frustrating, man. Baseball, it, it tries so hard to try to evolve into something more modern. And then you get a game like that where it feels like, you know, two steps forward, five steps backwards in terms of trying to modernize the game to a more younger audience who is always, you know, their their level of focus is a lot smaller than what it used to be. You're trying to keep their attention for as long as possible, but with how quick everything goes and everything else in the world, in everything that they do, it's impossible to keep somebody's attention for that long in anything. I mean, 16, 16 innings is, a, you know, I think it was like a three and a half to four hour ball game. And if you're like barely bought in, you're not going to keep them for that long. So that was, you know, whatever it was, it was, I think they were the, I also think I read somewhere that the guardians were the first team to sweep a series uh, in any baseball series ever while they were batting 176, I believe is what I read. <laughs> they hit 176 in that series. Granted, it was only two games, uh, but they swept the series to nothing. The first wild card series uh, sweep, I guess if that's what you'll call it uh, in the history of baseball. And they won it by going batting 176. So, I mean, that's kind of where baseball is at at the moment. And uh, yeah, that game was just kind of a, it, it was eye opening to me to to have that juxtaposition from college football to, uh, to back to baseball. And I was like, man, what are we doing? You know, <laughs> I was so confused. It was just, it was just, it was aggravating. Okay. Anyways, moving on. Guardians moved on. They will play the Yankees in their divisional round matchup in that best of five series. So we'll see what happens there. The other AL series that we got on the docket was the Blue Jays and the Mariners. This game, this series was a lot more fun to watch. I would say it was definitely a, a two, two polar opposites um, between the, the guardians and the Rays game to the uh, Jays and Mariners series. It was a big, big dry, big difference in terms of offensive output. We got a great game one. Luis Castillo pitched, pitched a gem for the Mariners and kind of pushed them, pushed them into a game one victory in that first game. And then the, and then uh, game two, truly an incredible game. Uh, if you weren't watching that game, then here's a quick recap. Blue Jays were up uh, eight to one after the fifth inning and they proceeded to lose 10 to nine, 10 to nine, no extra innings needed for the Mariners. They scored uh, in the sixth inning, and then they scored in the eighth inning, and then they scored in the ninth inning to win 10-9. to nine, uh, An incredible comeback. You know, they scored uh, four runs in the sixth inning, four runs in the eighth inning, and then one in the ninth inning to take the lead, and they ended up winning with George Kirby co- closing out the game to win the game for the Mariners. It was an amazing game. Would, uh, uh, really fun to watch. One of the reasons that you come to watch playoff baseball is for games like that, where it feels like, for the most part, any game could kind of be in reach just because there's no clock. You know, you can take as long as you want to try to come back until, you know, the ninth inning, obviously, but there's no clock. There's not a clock ticking down a final whistle that you have to worry about. It is 27 outs, period. No clock to worry about. You get 27 outs to try to beat the other team, no matter what the score is. And that's why I love playoff baseball and baseball in general, because it's so, you know, uh, oriented by the performance of both teams more so than the the management of a clock, I guess is how I would put it. Um, and that's, 
that that's what happened in this game. It was fun to watch and a little fun stat for you. The Blue Jays, they went 18 and 0 this year when scoring nine plus runs, and they'd won their last 54 games in a row when they were scoring nine plus runs in a single game. But the one loss they get, they get kicked out of the playoffs for it. Lose 10 and 9 to the Mariners. Mariners move on to take on the Astros. And as it stands right now, Astros are or the Mariners are beating the Astros, knock on wood. You know, I'm not gonna jinx it, but they're beating Astros in game one of that divisional. And you know what? Mariners kind of feel like that team. It always feels like every year we get one wild card team that feels like they have the momentum or the swagger, you know, the the, the pride and to, to, to kind of go into that divisional round with the confidence that they can beat literally anybody. And the Mariners feel like that team this year. They are coming off a very good second half of the season where they kind of climbed their way back out of the, it looked like for a while the Mariners were going to, you know, disappoint again. They were going to miss the playoffs for a 22nd year in a row or whatever it was, but they claw their way back into the wild card conversation. They get into the wild card. They beat a much, fav- much more favorite team in the Toronto Blue Jays. And now it feels like they can, they can beat anybody, and they're showing it in this game against the Astros. Again, I don't want to jinx it. I, I swear, this is the only time I'm rooting against. I mean, I'm not an Astros fan, but it's my dad's favorite team, so it's kind of you know by proxy, obviously. But if the Astros come back and win this game, I'm going to be so upset after I post this if that is what happens. But regardless, even if they do win this game, it still feels like the Mariners. You know, they they are kind of rolling with the idea that they don't have any. You know, they don't deserve to be there. That you know, whole mantra that. That, that teams kind of envelop as their own, you know, uh, rally call that they don't deserve to be there. Why not us? You know, why, why can't we go and beat the best teams in the league? And if they beat this, if they win this first game against the Astros, then, then they're going to have all the confidence in the world that they could beat the Astros again. Why not? They did it one time. Why can't they do it again against, you know, Justin Verlander, who's the um, more than likely going to be the Cy Young in the AL. I think it's already pretty much chalked up. He's going to be the AL Cy Young. And uh, if they can do it, then, if they can do it against uh, Justin Verlander in the first game, why, they can't, why can't they do it against anybody else? And I think that is the mantra that they're going to walk around with if they do end up beating this Astros team. And if they beat the Astros, then I I think they can truly beat anybody. There's always those wildcard teams that come in, they get hot, and when they get hot, they can get carried in through the playoffs, and it kind of feels like the Mariners are going to be one of those teams this year just based on what we've seen so far. They've got an ace in Luis Castillo that they can put in game one of basically any game. Robbie, Robbie Ray kind of feels like a sleeping giant as well. So... I mean, we'll see what the Mariners are. I would be interested to see. I mean, I think they're way ahead of schedule already, to be honest with you. Julio Rodriguez is going to be a stud, but I don't think anybody expected him to be, uh, you know, performing as well as he has been in the playoffs so far. He only hit 143 in that first series, but in the game against the Astros, that's just going on right now, I believe when I first came downstairs, he had two, uh, a double, a triple, and a walk as well. So, I mean, why not? Why not the Mariners? It'd be cool. I think everybody kind of wants to see a Seattle team succeed. We haven't seen a really good Seattle team since, you know, the Ichiro team that won 162 or 116 games and then got beat by the Yankees in the playoffs. And then, you know, kind of, they kind of faded out of existence. But even before then it was Edgar Martinez with Ken Griffey Jr. And, you know, that whole team, it was, you know, that's the last time I think the Mariners were really as relevant as they are, you know, not as relevant. I, I, this Mariners team is not as relevant as that team, but I think it's as, you know, people are talking about them or as good, I guess would probably be a better way to put it as good as those teams, if you will, or even relevant enough to make the playoffs like those teams did. So it'll be interesting to see what the Mariners do, but I do feel like they're that wildcard team that feel like they can kind of, you know, go in with, they have the confidence to do it now. I mean, they came back against, impossible odds a lot of people saw 
impossible odds against the against the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays at the highest point they had a ninety seven point seven percent chance. No, ninety eight a ninety eight point point five percent chance to win that game uh, against the Mariners. And the Mariners Mariners came back. So I mean, I, I don't know how you cannot have the most con- the highest confidence in the world to come back. Uh, and beat anybody, you know, in this playoffs. Like, you know, that's that's just how baseball works, and it's it's one of the best reasons why it's fun. You know, that's why it's awesome. It's baseball. Anything can happen in baseball. Uh, moving on here, Philadelphia versus the Cardinals. This one was kind of um, wasn't. I I was disappointed. I guess is what I would say. More than anything, I was disappointed by the Cardinals. Uh, their two main guys, Goldschmidt and Arenado, did not play well. Their pitching wasn't that good either. Um, the gold glovers on their team made a couple of mistakes that cost them a lot. Uh, so I was disappointed by the Cardinals more so than I was impressed by Philadelphia, but Philadelphia did end up beating, beating Atlanta in their first game of the NLDS. So another possible wildcard team that feels like they can beat anybody who knows. We'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, the Philadelphia versus, uh, St. Louis game, St. Louis series. That was, um, I think a lot more disappointing for the Cardinals than it was, uh, for the more surprising for Philadelphia, I guess is how it's, I think more disappointing for St. Louis than I think a confidence boost for Philly, I guess is what I would say. Um, it just kind of felt like St. Louis did not come out as a team that looked like they were ready to win those two games. You know what I mean? I, I guess it didn't look like they were ready for the wild card round, especially Goldschmidt and Arenado, who Goldschmidt is probably going to win the NL MVP and Arenado is supposed to be your, you know, your key guy at third base. But I mean, Arenado made a couple of mistakes at third base that cost them cost them runs. Goldschmidt didn't hit, or neither of them hit well uh, in in that series. So disappointing for the Cardinals. Phillies, another team that looks like they can gain the confidence. They already went and beat uh, the, the Atlanta Braves in Game One. So we'll see where the the Phillies end up. But another team that looks like they could be gaining confidence as the wild card team. That's why it's so dangerous to me as somebody uh, as if I'm a team. I, I don't know how much I want to be in the divisional round and get that by more so than being in the wildcard series and, you know, surprising people are getting hot in the wildcard series. To me, that seems more valuable. I don't know the numbers exactly on it where like the wildcard teams end up beating the divisional round teams. I don't know the exact numbers on it, but it does feel like the wildcard teams at least once a year, the wild tar- a wildcard team will come out and surprise a divisional round team, just a, a team that got a buy because the wildcard team got hot in the wildcard game or something like that. You know what I mean? So we'll see what happens with the Phillies as well. Uh, and then the last one, the Mets. Mets versus the Padres. The Padres win the game three, six, nothing. Uh, it was a three game series, our first three game series in the wildcard. And the Mets, man, the Mets are going to Mets. Doesn't matter how much money you spend. Max Scherzer, disappointing game one. Jacob DeGrom, pretty good game two. I won't say he was... Uh, you know, stellar or amazing or anything like that, but he was pretty good in game two. And then it all comes down to Chris Bassett. You paid an unbelievable amount of money in the offseason as well. And he kind of blows it in game three. And after that second inning where the Padres scored two in the top of the second, it felt like, it felt like, I, I don't want to say it felt like it was completely over, but it felt like one of those games where the Mets, I think the pressure was entirely on them after that. It was like, Okay, are we going to actually do this again? Are we really going to lose after winning 101 games in the regular season? Are we going to lose this in the wild card? And lo and behold, there it was. It's over. The, the Mets, the Mets are going to met, and that's what they did. They met. They scored. They hit one. They had one hit of a Joe Musgrove all game, and it was uh, it was an incredible performance by Joe Musgrove. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that guy was 
He was dealing. I mean, one of the best performances I've seen. Not, you know, not best of all time or anything like that, but a, a fantastic performance from Joe Musgrove in a must-win game. Uh, I think I read somewhere it was the first pair. He was the first pitcher to go seven innings and only give up one hit in a must-win uh, game seven type game. I think he was the first one to ever do that, and deservedly so. And then the Mets, man. Oh my God, the Mets. They got so desperate. They were asking, you know, asking the umps to go check on. Musgrove's ears and stuff like that, and that's just that's going to look bad, you know. Then they're, they're just going to rub it in your face. Like, why are you going to do it? Then you're just looking desperate. Okay, it's just a bad look from the Mets. I mean, it's a tough way to go out if you're Mets fans and if you're the Mets in general. Fight all year long. Looked like one of the best NL East teams. I mean, were one of the best NL East teams and one of the best NL teams. I'm for sure. But then blow it all in in the in the in the wild card game, and that's just peak Mets, man. I mean, that's what they do. They disappoint. It's in, ever since 1986, that's what they've done. They've gone in and they've disappointed. And then, you know, I apologize to Mets fans. That sucks. I feel bad for you. I don't hate you. I'm I'm a Red Sox fan, so I don't inherently hate you. If anything, I respect you more than I, I respect the Yankees. So, tip of the cap, but that's unfortunate. I, I feel bad for you. Uh, so, the Padres move on as well. The Padres are going to be playing the... Los Angeles Dodgers, so that's going to be an interesting matchup. Even though the Dodgers have dominated that series in the regular season, uh, you know, rivalry game in the playoffs is always interesting and fun to watch. So we'll see where the see where that one ends up. Also, with the Cardinals getting knocked out of the playoffs, that is the end, the official end. Well, I won't say official because we don't really know where this is going to end up. But Albert Pujols, he announced his retirement. It sounds like he's going to stick to retirement after this season. And since the Cardinals got eliminated, his season is over, and that means he is officially retired now, uh, officially quote-unquote retired now, and uh, that will set him up. This is his final career stats. 296 batting average, a 374 on base percentage, and a 918 OPS career. 703 home runs, finishes fourth all-time in that category. 2,218 RBIs, that is second of all time, second all-time, and 101.6 wins above replacement. That's 29th on the all-time war list, and then 3,384 Total hits to close out his career. That is 10th all-time for Albert Pujols. Somebody that will undoubtedly get be first ballot Hall of Famer. And in my hot take of the week, I think he deserves more unanimous unanimous, uh, unanimous Hall of Fame approval than what Derek Jeter got. Derek Jeter was unanimous, obviously. We're kind of, you know, apples to apples here. But I think Pujols, in my opinion, deserves it. Deserves it more than Jared Jeter did. I think Pujols was a better, not an all-around player, but I think he was a better uh, hitter for sure. Um, and I think if Pujols was playing on the Yankees, I think it would probably be, he'd probably be seen as the superstar that Derek Jeter is. Um, because, I mean, Derek Jeter, great player. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely Hall of Famer. I will not, you know, I'm not going to disregard that at all. I Maybe my bias is coming out a little bit here. But also, maybe a little, a t- Yankees fans, okay, I apologize, maybe a tad little baby bit overrated, to be honest with you. All right, still fantastic player, no doubt, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not going to question that, he's the captain, you know, I get it, but eh, just a tad bit overrated, just a tad bit overrated, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would say he's the greatest shortstop of all time or anything like that, um, but I think you can have that conversation, uh, the greatest first baseman of all time, with Albert Pujols. I think it's totally fair to have that conversation with him. So that's where I stand. I think he should be a unanimous Hall of Famer, and uh, rightfully so. One of the greats, uh, probably the greatest of our generation in terms of overall hitter, maybe 
Miguel Cabrera could be in that conversation as well, but I think it's one, two as, as, as those two guys. So uh, tip of the cap to Albert Pujols, enjoy retirement. However, however old you actually are. That's just a running joke on the podcast. Albert, if you're listening, nobody knows how old you actually are. That's the joke. I'm explaining a joke. So tip of the cap to you, my friend, enjoy retirement. First ballot hall of famer, hall of fame. Here you come for sure. Uh, so yeah, that's a close. That's a cap on Albert Pujols' career. That's a cap on the wild card round in baseball. The first wild card series in baseball history. And uh, I think it was pretty good. I think it was for the most part, it was a good series for the MLB to have. I still think playoffs are probably a little, I mean, I, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse when I say this, but you know, may I put it in September. They're never going to do that. They're never, ever going to do that. Obviously you're literally asking baseball teams to make less money. So they're never going to do it, but man, this would be such a better, a much better situation for baseball. If they were playing their wildcard series in September, when not a whole lot is going on. Preseason football, sure, but I think, I, I hope, I really hope that the MLB playoffs can beat out, you know, uh, preseason NFL football. I mean, I, I really hope if that's, if, you know, if they couldn't beat out preseason NFL football, then, you know, MLB has got a much bigger problem on their hands. So, yeah, uh, I mean, that's just where I stand with it. I, I had fun watching it, but it does, I mean, it's, it's always going to be second place for football. And I think that's how it is for the rest of the world or for the rest of for for the rest of the country, I think that's how a lot of people stand when it comes to football versus baseball, even in the playoffs. I mean, we're in week five of the NFL, and I don't think, you know, I never had the second thought. I mean, it's a good thing they put that Mets game in the middle of the, you know, at night, obviously. But uh, I wouldn't have switched it over to, you know, to switched over to a Mets game or the the Mets and Padres wild card game if it was during the one o'clock hour. No way, I would have. I would be watching Red Zone. I'm not gonna. I, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm gonna watch. I want to watch Red Zone over that anytime. Doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, good series though. I think it's a good addition to the actual playoff slate as a whole for the MLB to have that. And I think they they made the right choice adding that in there as the new format for uh, playoff baseball. So we'll see what happens with the rest of the playoffs. I'm excited for the divisional round and uh, maybe some upsets. Maybe some upsets on the rise. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's move on. NFL Sunday, NFL weekend. Thursday, holy cow. Let's talk a little bit about Thursday, man. Beating a dead horse, literally, literally beating a dead horse. Not literally. I guess that's not really literally, but I guess uh, I kind of beating a dead horse. I guess, you know, the Broncos and Colts, they're both they're both horse mascots. That's what I'm trying to say. So we're beating a dead horse in that sense. And uh, boy, did they look dead out there because that was uh, that was as bad of a primetime game as I think I have ever seen in professional in professional football. Um Truly terrible. I never want to watch that game again. It got to the point where I was more rooting for just the chaos of it being bad because of the chaos of it being bad. Twitter was exploding. They were the they were the social media jokes. Uh, both teams were of the la- of the like thirty six hours that had that preceded that uh, that preceded that disaster, and uh, rightfully so because that game was terrible. That was not a fun game to watch. I never want to see the Broncos in primetime again. And guess what? Guess what? I never want to see them in primetime again, at least until until they score like if they score 28 points to 31 points or something like that in their next game, then we could talk about having them as a primetime team again. Then we could talk about it. But guess what? They're not going to listen to me. You know why? Because they're putting the Broncos on Monday night football in next week. That is the next week is Monday night football. It is Chargers versus Broncos. What in God's name did we do to deserve, to deserve this after what we just saw? Oh my God. 
why are we putting the Broncos back on primetime football, Monday night football of all things? That it was supposed to be, I always, I always saw Monday night football as the game of the week, if you will, quote unquote, the, the game of the week that you have to tune in for because it's going to be the best game on paper of the week. And we're getting, and we have flex scheduling now as well. I don't get it. I don't want to be watching the Colts and the Broncos at two and two and one and two and three for the Broncos. I don't want to be watching that game on Monday night. And you know what? I might not watch it at all on, on Monday night. The Broncos, sorry, the Chargers aren't two, two and one. I think they're two and three now. No, three and two. Excuse me. They're three and two because they beat the Browns. Three and two. I don't want to be watching that. No, thank you. I'm going to pass. Uh, so yeah, that's what's coming up for the Broncos. And it's, they're, they're playing on Monday night football. I cannot believe that. I cannot believe this is not, this could not have gone more poorly for both the Broncos and the NFL. They're ushering in a new era of Bronco football, if you will, quote unquote, with Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett. This is supposed to be the new age of Bronco football, less defensive oriented, you know, a return to offensive powerhouse. And uh, it just, it, uh, it's not going to be that. It hasn't been that. I have been throttled by how bad the Bronco offense has been. I mean, just truly terrible. In that game against Indianapolis, they were bad uh, on Thursday. Here's a stat for you. And Russell Wilson, to be exact, I mean, he has been really bad. I mean, truly awful. Here's a stat for you on Thursday. Russell Wilson was 2 of 15. 2 of 15 with two interceptions on passes 10 plus air yards, uh, 10 plus air yards through the air on Thursday night. That is from Matt Verdar, Verderam from Twitter. Excuse me if I'm saying your name incorrectly. Uh, Matt Verderam. That's how I'm going to say it. Two for 15 with two interceptions on passes 10 plus yards down the field. That is so bad. Russell Wilson was kind of regarded before he came back from De- or came to Denver. I think he was kind of well regarded for his accuracy downfield. That was kind of the thing that 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 separated him from you know a, a top or put him into a top ten, top five conversation for quarterbacks in the NFL. His downfield ability, his downfield accuracy, and his ability his ability to scramble out of the pocket and still make plays happen. We haven't seen either of those things from his time with the Broncos. He was missing passes in the flats that I'd never seen him miss. He was missing just terrible throws downfield that led to interceptions that basically cost the Broncos that game. It was so head scratching and it was, I was just stunned at how bad, how bad the Broncos defense looked or the Broncos, excuse me, the Broncos offense. That's a whole look. He was missing wide open guy. I mean, that OT, that that OT drive that ended in the, uh, the pass breakup that lost them the game. He had KJ Hamler wide open, wide open, on a slant route that would he would have walked in untouched for a touchdown to win them that game. And he just doesn't look at him. He's staring down his first read the entire way and throws it right into uh, the, the area of Stefan Gilmore. Gilmore. Gilmore makes a great diving play to break up the pass and they end up losing the game. And you saw KJ Hamler on the, in the back of the end zone. He was slamming his helmet down because he was pissed. He knew he was wide open. He was wide open from basically the time he broke that route. He was wide open and uh, Russell Wilson never looked his way. It's just, uh, I don't know what's going on with Russell Wilson. It is, Head scratching, and it doesn't help that the guy is just so corny, man. He is the the biggest cornball in the NFL, and I think a lot of people are happy to see him. Not necessarily happy, but I think maybe you know smirking at the idea of him failing so bad because of how corny he is. He is so hard to watch. On like you know his subway ad has has taken a life of its own because of how bad that subway ad, the the danger witch subway ad is. It's taken on a life of its own of how because of how weird. And corny it is. I feel like Russell Wilson's going to show up on a Netflix documentary as, you know, 20 years down the line as somebody that was dealing with, you know, a dual personality disorder the entire time he was playing. 
football because that's what it feels like. I have no idea what to expect from him and not in a good way. Like everything that he does outside, uh, even during the games is just cringy, man. I hate it. I hate, 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 hate watching Russell Wilson just be, you know, by himself and doing, making TikToks and stuff like that, or that are just completely corny and cringy. And his ads are weird. Like the subway writers absolutely 100% knew what they were doing. It's either that, that he's like super corny. He doesn't get the joke or he is one of the great trolls of our time and he gets it. And he's just playing into that role because he thinks it's funny. If he's doing that, I will, I will respect the hell out of him because that would be one of the great trolls of all time. But man, if not, he is super unself-aware and yeah, I just, ugh. I, Russell Wilson's just the cornball. He's just a cornball. And uh, it doesn't help the fact that he's uh, playing very poorly right now at the moment, that his cornballness is kind of just being thrown out into the world for all to see because of, uh, you know, the subway ads, the TikToks, and everything like that. It's just, and not to mention, it, fe- it seems like after the dust has settled from when he left Seattle, it seems like everybody hated playing with him. Lockett has come out and said stuff. Richard Sherman, even on the broadcast, of Thursday Night Football. Richard Sherman was kind of, you know, not talking very respectfully of Russell Wilson. I mean, it's interesting to see uh, how many people from Seattle have come out and kind of said, yo, this guy is not fun to play with. You know, he's not, he's kind of an all about him type of guy on the field. And that's interesting to see that kind of show up on the field. And I'm, you know, we'll take that as it is. We'll see where that develops down the road. I think it's interesting to see that come out and kind of unfold after he leaves Seattle. Uh, in that situation, and the Seattle, by the way, oh, uh, were we? Where was Pete Carroll letting Russ cook, and he's just not as good? Or is Geno Smith all of a sudden just uh, a resurgent Geno Smith, the second coming of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? Is he the second? Co- is he Aaron Rodgers or whatever getting benched for Russell Wilson, then coming out after that in showing as he's one of the the best quarterbacks in the league? He's one of the highest graded quarterbacks in the NFL this season, the highest pass offense. Graded pass offense in the league is the Seattle Seahawks, according to PFF. Something that I did not expect. I don't think anybody expected that from Geno Smith. Did the Seahawks win the trade? I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. Okay, I don't don't know about that. But, I mean, it's worth noting, the Seahawks, offensively at least, have looked miles better than the Broncos have looked offensively. Now, the Seahawks, they're terrible on defense. They're really bad on defense. That's more of Pete Carroll's area uh, of expertise. But... It is worth noting that the Seahawks have looked astronomically better on offense than the Denver Broncos have looked on offense. And uh, I I really don't know what to equate that to. It's been just weird to see Geno Smith cooking himself. And he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league, if not the best quarterback in the league so far this season. So that's it. I mean, that kind of sums up the Denver Broncos right now. We're watching Geno Smith cook on Russell Wilson's former team while Russell Wilson comes to the Denver Broncos and is just putting up some garbage garbage stuff week after week and then it's you know that's where the broncos stand right now and now we have to watch them on monday night again in a week or so so you know you can't get away you know what are you gonna do uh looking at the rest taking a look at the rest of the sunday slate from the nfl giants new york football giants what a comeback from them in london i woke up that game was at halftime when i woke up and i was like I'm feeling good. Okay. I'm not really feeling good, but I picked them in the, you know, shared a media pro football pick them. I picked the Packers to win that game, obviously, because I think pretty much everybody picked the Packers to win that game. But then all of a sudden the giants 
The Giants coming out of nowhere and winning that game. Tip of the cap to the Giants. Not a game I think anybody really, even going down against the Packers, I don't think anybody two years ago, even a year ago, would expect the Giants to be even close in that game. I think the spread in that game is a lot bigger if this was a year ago. But Danny Dimes has been pretty good. Saquon Barkley finally looks like he's back to being healthy and he looks like a dynamic playmaker out of that backfield. And uh, Danny Dimes is throwing to names I've never even heard of. I mean, they had Darius Slayton. Obviously, everybody knows Darius Slayton. But that's your number one wide receiver. And Danny Dimes is making it work. I mean, props to him. I mean, props to the Giants. They're they're figuring it out. Good for them. Uh, The Bills dominated 38-3 over the Steelers. Josh Allen made one of the most beautiful, just chef's kiss passes I think I've ever seen in my entire time watching the NFL. Last year, we saw Justin Herbert throw that pass against, I can't remember who it was against. I think it was the, it was like the Raiders or something like that, I want to say, uh, where he was like running to his right and he throws on the run basically 70 yards through the air and hits his guy in stride for a touchdown. That was probably the greatest throw I've ever seen uh, from a quarterback in today's game. And, and it's, it's crazy to look at like the guys of today, like your Josh Allen's, Justin Herbert, your Patrick Mahomes. I truly think... I truly think, and this is, you know, they don't have really the accolades to back any of this up, obviously, but I think we're watching the most talented time in the history of the NFL in terms of the quarterback position. I don't think we've ever seen a guy like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or even Justin Herbert. Herbert still got some kinks to work out, obviously, but in terms of arm talent, those guys are as good as anybody I think that has ever played in the league. Nobody's thrown the ball harder or further than Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes or uh, Josh Allen, or further, or doing the stuff at the quarterback position that those guys are doing. And, you know, Justin Herbert, not one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, I would say. You know, top 10, I'll put him in that top 10 range, obviously. But it's very clearly, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are one and two in the conversation for best quarterback in the league. I don't think it's necessarily close, except for, you know, maybe Geno Smith. I'm just kidding. By the way, that was a joke. I, you get, let's give Geno Smith a couple more weeks before we start putting him into you know top 10 territory. But he's played good so far, so I'll give him that. But I think it's very clearly Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes as 1-2. And then it's kind of a steep drop-off, to be honest with you, where those guys are just so much better than everybody else in the league other than, I mean, Tom Brady's got the accolades to do everything, but he's not doing, he's never been able to do the stuff that that Josh Allen or Russell Wilson, or, or excuse me, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes are doing now where they can both run the they can run the football. Patrick Mahomes maybe not as good as Josh Allen running the football, but they can run the football when they need to, and they're just launching just bazookas down the field that looks they make look so easy. It's just incredible what we're seeing from from the quarterback position in today's game. It's truly incredible. And the throw from Josh Allen, the second touchdown to Gabe Davis that he threw basically from his 35-yard line down to about the 10-yard line of Gabe Davis hits Gabe Davis in stride one-on-one and Gabe Davis has to kind of fight it away. But that hits Gabe Davis in the perfect spot where it needs to be. And he made Josh Allen made it look so easy and it's, it's, he makes it look so easy that you think you can go out there and do that. But there are quarterbacks in this league that it would take like two or three, three, two or three tries to get that kind of yardage out of their arm. And Josh Allen's just going out there, rolling to his right and just it feels like he's just not necessarily even loading up that you'd see from like other quarterbacks where they load up and throw it. He's just in his perfect stance and lobs it down there and just an absolute cannon, beautiful piece of a pass to Gabe Davis to score their second touchdown. It was unbelievable. I was like, I saw that pass and I was like, what the hell just happened? I was like, how did he just do that? He just made it look so easy. Josh Allen, 
incredible. And the the you know one two guys, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I, I'm so excited to see their battles for years to come because it's gonna be fun. I mean, the Bills and the Chiefs. As long as those two guys are cooking and what they're doing right now, as long as they're doing what they're doing right now, I think that's gonna be the battle for years and years to come. I, the Patriots and the Colts of the old day. Uh, the old day, quote unquote, and then like 10 years ago, um, Patriots and the Colts battles of those days, um, just 10, 15 years ago, I think have turned into the Chiefs and the Bills of today. I think that's what we're going to start seeing more of are those two teams. And they're playing this next week, which is going to be a fun game to watch, obviously. So stay tuned for that. Uh, the Chargers, we talked about them just a little bit. Justin Herbert, they snuck one out against the Browns. Brandon Staley, man. When he's going forward on fourth down, feels like it's working, you know, then, you know, you, you you give him a good old golf clap and you're like, hey, smart play. You know, you run the clock out there. Good job. Way to go forward on fourth down. But when you go forward on fourth and one uh, with one minute and 13 seconds left and you don't get it, you throw a pass that's incomplete with fourth and one left and a minute 13 left on the clock and you don't get it, then you're like, is that the right idea, Brandon Staley? I think if, you know, this is armchair quarterback to the T, I think... I would have been okay if I'm a Chargers fan punting that one away with a minute 13 left. It's not like you're going up against Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. You're going up against Jacoby Brissett, which granted, Jacoby Brissett's been pretty good this season. You know, he's been a very solid backup quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. But I think you give Jacoby Brissett a minute and seven seconds left or whatever it would be after they punted it, you know, at most on the 25-yard line. You want your kicker to either kick it out of the back of the end zone or your punter to punt it out of the back of the end zone or put it out of bounds anywhere um, out of bounds. And I think at the maximum you're getting, you know, starting them on their own 25. I think you can live with that. If you're Brandon Staley minute, seven seconds left, have Jacoby percent trust your defense to get the stop there that they need to do. And it's like I said, you're not, you're not punting it away to Tom Brady. I mean, it's Jacoby percent grant. Like I said, granted, He's been a solid backup quarterback for them. You know, I am not going to not going to harsh on Jacoby Brissett, one of the great QB sneakers of all time. But I think you could I think you can live with the field goal or would live with the giving the ball back to Jacoby Brissett and having your defense win that game. I don't think anybody would be disappointed on that. They'd be disappointed in the defense and they end up losing that game. But I don't think you're you know, you're punting on fourth and one from your own 46 yard line and. Granted, you might be scoured as the coward in that in that situation. But if you miss it like he did, then you're kind of I mean, it's a lose lose situation if you're Brandon Staley, really, unless you win the game, which he did end up winning the game, even though he didn't get the fourth and one. And he won because it was a missed field goal by the Browns. It wasn't because, you know, they forced a turnover or they got the fourth down or anything like that. So it was kind of in the it was a game for the Browns to win and they ended up losing it uh, because of a missed field goal. But regardless, I mean, Brandon Staley, I was like. Think I'm okay punting it here. That's the only time I think I'd ever, I've ever in my mind on fourth and one anywhere in between f- both forties of either team on fourth and one going for it. Where I was like, I don't know if I would do this. You know, I was like, I'd probably punt this away if it were me. If I'm playing Madden right now, I'm putting that away. You know, that's armchair quarterback to a T. You know, I'd do this in Madden, no problem. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Chargers win that game. Fun game to watch. Probably one of the better games of the early hour. Um, Moving on here. Are the Lions, Lions versus Patriots, the Lions back to being frauds, or are we just going to talk about uh, Bill Belichick having Jared Goff's number? Because my God, my God, I, I don't think anybody plays a quarterback better than Bill Belichick playing Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff has nightmares of Bill Belichick in his sleep. And not to mention, yes, Jared Goff has nightmares. But how about... How about the boy, Bailey Zappi? 
I don't even know. How to, is it Bailey Zappi or Zappi? I think it's Zappi. Bailey Zappi. I mean, you know, he didn't stun or anything like that, but he had a pretty solid game. Efficient. Only had one interception. Uh, 188 yards. He had a touchdown as well. He was efficient throwing the ball. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say Mac Jones is losing a job or his job or anything. The Lions are really bad on defense, but, you know, fair enough for a backup quarterback to come in there. First start, 188 yards, efficient enough. I think he went 17 for 21 or something like that. One touchdown, one pick. You'll give you'll give the pick away if you're up, you know, 29 to nothing. Who cares? Um, but yeah, I mean, Bailey's happy. Bailey's happy. Who would have thought? Congratulations to him. Good for him. Good win. And then Ramondre Severson, David, uh, Damon, uh, Damian Harris goes out. Ramondre Severson steps up, has a solid game on the ground as well, as well as receiving the ball. I think I'm hoping Ramondre Severson gets more touches as a running back because he looks like one of those running backs that looks like one of those guys that are a ton of fun to watch that just breaks everything that touch. Like if it's an arm tackle, he's breaking it. Like that's who I think of when I think of Ramondre Severson. If he's gonna, if he's running, if anybody tries to tackle him with his arm, he's breaking it no matter what. The second coming of Derrick Henry, if you will. Not that he, okay, maybe not that much, but the similar styles of running, if you will, from Ramondre Stevenson and Derrick Henry. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see more of Ramondre Stevenson and Bailey Zappi, dude. That was awesome. And the the Lions, I wouldn't call them frauds yet. Their offense has still been pretty explosive, but man, Jared Goff, he has nightmares of playing Bill Belichick. I can't, I, I, he just gets under his skin. Whatever it is that the the Patriots do. Whatever it is the Patriots do against Jared Goff, Jared Goff just has no answer for it. It's incredible. You could switch teams or whatever. Whenever he plays Bill Belichick and the Patriots, it's just a completely different quarterback. Even though Jared Goff, I mean, I think for the most part, he's been very much overachieving this season than what a lot of people thought. Um, you know, he's coming in as one of the better graded quarterbacks in the in the league, according to PFF, and one of the higher uh, you know throwing quarterbacks in the league in terms of pass yardage and such. He goes up against goes up against Bill Belichick, and it's all over. It all comes crumbling down. It's very interesting. He, he's got he's got Bill Belichick's got Jared Goff in his sights. Uh, moving on, Geno Smith. We talked about him a little bit. They lost. They ended up losing. But man, Geno Smith. I mean, what a guy. Waits his turn for as long as I can remember. I didn't realize Geno Smith was in the league to be honest with you until uh, he came. He, he went to Seattle and they announced him as the starting quarterback. I didn't even realize he was still in the league until he gets his shot with the Seattle Seahawks and he is taking full advantage of it a big prop to him they lost 39 to 32 obviously but 16 for 25 260 yards 268 yards three touchdowns for Geno Smith and then you have Taysom Hill god I hate Taysom Hill Taysom I have Alvin Kamara on my fantasy team and Taysom Hill just steals all his touchdowns man I can't do it anymore with Taysom Hill he's a tight end listed as a tight end in fantasy and he had three rushing touchdowns even though he's a quarterback quote unquote he's just kind of a utility guy and he had nine, nine rushes for 112 yards and three touchdowns. And man, he just stole Calvin Kamara's touchdowns all day long. I'll give him, I'll give him that third one where he kind of broke away. Uh, it looked like they had like the entire, they had like 10, 10 linemen on the field. It looked like, and then just Taysom Hill. Cause they knew he wasn't going to throw the ball. So they had 10 linemen on the field. It looked like on that last one and he just breaks it away and scores a touchdown. I'll give him that one, but man, they're in the goal line and Taysom Hill keeps it by himself. I'm just gritting my teeth. Cause I'm like, that could have been, that could have been, a, that could have been an Alvin Kamara touchdown. That would have been cool. I, I would have been real happy about that. God, Taysom Hill, man. He has been the bane of my existence ever since I've had Alvin Kamara. I've had Alvin Kamara for two straight years in fantasy and he has been the bane of my existence when it comes to him scoring. I just can't stand it. He's stealing Alvin Kamara's touchdowns. He's a steal. He's a touchdown stealer and it, and it hurts me. All right. It's really, it's really frustrating. Um, but regardless, 
back to G. Uh, 16 for 25. He had a 10, almost an 11-yard average. 268 yards, like I said, three touchdowns. He had a 75 QBR from ESPN, but 139.7 rating. Geno Smith, man. Good for him. I mean, it's just been fun to watch Geno Smith cook. I mean, everybody had kind of counted him out or whatever you want to say. I can't remember what the quote was that he had uh, before the season where he was like, I can't remember what it was, but it was basically, you know, count me out. He, you know, he's counting me out, but I count myself back in something like that. It was it was kind of corny. I'll be honest, but it was definitely quarterback talk, you know, or athlete talk like that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, Geno Smith, fair enough. He's proven us all wrong. Uh, I mean, the guy, like I said, I didn't even realize he was still in the league until well, yeah, I saw him sign with Seattle and I was like, oh. Okay, sure. And here, here it is. All of a sudden, I thought for sure Seattle was looking at, you know, they're signing Geno Smith. They got Drew Locke or whatever. I thought it was tankathon. I thought it was time to tank for the Seattle. And here we are. I mean, the legitimate, I mean, their defense is bad. Granted, their defense is not good at all. But Geno Smith keeps playing like this, then uh, why not a shot at the wild card game? I mean, or a shot in the wild card with the expanded postseason. I mean, why not? Who knows? Uh, I mean, why not? Geno Smith leading his team to the playoffs. I'd like to believe that. That'd be cool. Uh, the Commanders, or excuse me, not not next, not not in the Commanders yet. Tom Brady, uh, Buccaneers. They won their game as well against the Falcons. Everybody's talking about that roughing the passer call. Fair enough. Uh, it was bad, but I also think it was kind of a correction, an overcorrection, quote unquote, whatever you want to call it. I think it was eerily similar to what happened to to Watunga Vailoa in that Thursday night game where he kind of got ripped to the side and he ended up hitting his head in that in that scene or in that uh, in that play and that's what gave him the concussion that everybody saw with his with his hands brace up and everything and I think what happened was it was eerily similar to what ha- Tom Brady had something eerily similar happen to him where he's kind of getting dragged down and ripped around to the side and it looks like a similar play and I think granted fair enough I mean it's not a good call. I'm not going to justify the call. It's a bad call, but I can understand where as the referee from what you saw just a week ago, what happened to Tua Tungavailoa after a similar play in a similar situation, I can see where you kind of react in a way that's like, okay, this is a penalty. This feels like a penalty because of what we've seen. I can understand that. I'll, I'll, I'll take, you know, fair enough. I, I'll give them that, but it's a bad call. I mean, that should not be roughing the passer. Period. Uh, even if it is Tom Brady, the face of your league and uh, the greatest of all time of your league, I can, you know, obviously that's not a roughing the passer call. That's definitely a sack. Um, but I'm also not going to say that the, you know, the Falcons come back and win that game because of that call. I won't go that far. We're talking about we're talking about Tom Brady here. OK, and if he's up, then I'm pretty comfortable with saying that he's up for a decent for for the rest of the game for the most part. Um, so, yeah, that was, you know. That's football sometimes. It's the refs are going to get in the way sometimes. That's how it works, unfortunately. And rightfully so. Falcons fans are upset about that. Uh, moving on. Commanders. They drop another one. I had them over eight wins on the season, and I'm feeling kind of bad about it. I'll be honest with you. Carson Wentz has looked like a mess. And then Ron Rivera came out and said, What is the difference between uh, you guys and the rest of the NFC East? And he says, Just plainly, quarterback. That's kind of a bad look from Ron Rivera, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I get you wanting to maybe set a fire under your quarterback's butt, if you will, uh, but I don't know if I would do it that way in front of the press. Uh, I do think he's been vastly, vastly disappointing, I would think. Uh, I, I would say Danny Dimes is playing better than him, in my opinion. I think Cooper Rush, I wouldn't say Cooper Rush is playing better than him, but he's not making the game, the back-breaking mistakes that Carson Wentz seems to continue to make um, that really hurt, have hurt the commanders so far this season. So, 
fair enough from Ron Rivera, but there are other, you know, there are other things that the commanders could definitely be doing better uh, as a team that aren't just quarterback related to be winning games. Like, it's not like they're perfect, you know, like, like they're very middle of the pack to the bottom of the pack and a lot of defensive stats as well in terms of coverage, uh, rush defense and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's not like it's only Carson Wentz and I'm not a Carson Wentz stand. I do think he's uh, maybe a backup quarterback. Uh, I think, you know, saw probably a backup quarterback in this league, but I don't think he's a starter necessarily. Uh, but I also think, you know, the commanders, it's it's more of a mixed bag. I don't know if putting it all on, on Russell or on Carson Wentz is uh, necessarily the right call from Ron Rivera. So, you know, I, it feels like it's more of just a shot to kind of to put a fire under his, you know, you know the saying, uh, light a fire under his butt, if you will. Uh, and that's what it kind of felt like more than anything. But I maybe a better way to go about it. Uh, also, Rams Cowboys. That was a surprising game. I think for everybody who watched that game, uh, Rams questionable. Uh, not a great season so far. They're the second worst pass blocking grade on PFF as well. 47.1. That is a difference of about 40, 37 points in terms of the grading scale to an, from an 81.3 grade last year, which was first overall in the league at pass blocking. They lost Andrew Whitworth to a retirement and it's all kind of gone kaput. They lost Von Miller as well. Bobby Wagner, solid middle linebacker, but I don't think he's really made as much of an impact as I think a lot of the Rams fans had hoped he would. And uh, their offense just in general has looked very stagnant, very dried out. Uh, Matthew Stafford has not looked anywhere near as good as he was last year, even though last year he was a little volatile. Uh, He threw a lot of interceptions, but he also threw a lot of touchdowns. It was a, uh, it was a mixed bag. Uh, But I mean, I, the bright side is they have Cooper cup and he's going to get about eight receptions every single game. So whatever, but it is interesting to see how much they've kind of fallen off. I didn't think that they were going to lose that game. I thought it was going to be maybe closer than a lot of people expected. Uh, Cooper rush is the goat, you know, so whatever. Um, but you know, it, it was disappointing to see. It, I mean, it has been disappointing to see how bad the Rams have been uh, just because obviously they're defending champions. I mean, they scored 10 points and zero in the second half at that's alarming if you're Rams fans. Two and three, a two and three start through five weeks is also pretty alarming. So, Rams, I don't know what to expect. I don't know if they can turn it on. Uh, I think if they are the Rams, we know how aggressive that front office is. I would not be surprised to see them make some moves at the deadline or before the deadline for some different offensive line help. I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. Um, and then, then who knows at that point because they still have a pretty uh, top to bottom, very talented roster. I just think their offensive line really needs help and. Uh, I think maybe an edge rusher or two, but Aaron Donald is still Aaron Donald. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey is still one of the best cornerbacks in the league. So, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wave the white flag or you know freak out yet for the Rams. To be honest with you, because there's still an inkling of hope there. We're still seeing a little bit from Matthew Stafford. Cooper Cup. It's not like Cooper Cup has disappeared off the off the face of the earth or anything like that. So, I just think they need a little bit of changes, a little bit of improvement in order to get back to where they want to be, obviously. So, but NFC West is, I mean, that's, that's a dog fight. I, you know, San Francisco is good. Arizona looks like, you know, a little shaky, but they could be good. Maybe a surprise team here and there. Seattle's a lot better than everybody thought they would be. So, you know, uh, that's a dog fight. That's a tough, that's a tough division to be playing in, obviously. Um, Moving on here. Finally, uh, second to last penultimate. We'll talk about the chiefs a little bit as well. Um, But the Ravens and the Bengals, is there anything that's more nice to have in the league than a kicker like Justin Tucker, where if you're a fan in that seat and you're down 17 to 16 or in that stadium and you're down 17 to 16 and you get the ball back, ball is in field goal range, 
that you can just kind of leave and feel very confident that Justin Tucker is going to make that field goal. And you don't even have to watch it. You can go and try to get out of the parking spot, out of the parking lot early at that stadium. I think that's one of the nicest things to have in football. I mean, Justin Tucker, he's a robot, man. He's incredible. He's the greatest kicker of all time. I knew when they were giving the Ravens back the ball, I was like, this is too much time. And I didn't say this was too much time for Lamar Jackson. I said this was too much time for Justin Tucker because you can't give the man that much length, that length of field with that a little amount of time. He doesn't matter. He's going to hit it because it's Justin Tucker and he doesn't miss it. Here's a stat for you. Excuse me. Justin Tucker has now made 61, 61 consecutive field goals in the fourth quarter or overtime, which includes 27 from 40 plus yards out. He's also now 18 for 18 in his career on field goals within the final minute of regulation or overtime. He has never missed in a final minute field goal in regulation of overtime. That is so incredible. He's basically automatic when it comes to that situation. And that is such a nice thing to have, especially if you're the Ravens. If you're the Bengals in that situation, I would think you're at least trying to go for two just to eliminate the possibility of of uh, Justin Tucker beating you in that way. So if you go up, like if the Bengals end up going, like if they end up going up 21-18 in a situation like that, or 20-18, to and an extra, extra point ties the game, or goes up by three in that situation, I think you go for two, because you know Justin Tucker's going to hit the field goal to tie the game. So why not just go for two to win the game? Don't let Justin Tucker try to beat you with his leg, because you're going to lose. Trying to let make Lamar Jackson, who granted, one of the best quarterbacks in the league as well, but I'd rather have my defense try to stop Lamar Jackson than have my field goal unit or my field goal defense try to stop uh, Justin Tucker because it's not going to happen. He doesn't miss. He's made 61 consecutive field goals in the fourth quarter and is 18 for 18 in his career on field goals in the fourth quarter and overtime in the final minute of regulation. He's not going to miss. So don't give him the opportunity to kick it to try to win or tie the game. I just that's that's how I would think of it. I would rather he's the only person in maybe the history of the league where. I'd rather go for two while I'm down two to try to get a four-point lead than kick an extra point to go up by three because I'd rather get the four-point lead to try to win it than give Justin Tucker the opportunity to try to kick the field goal to tie the game. That's just, I mean, or even win the game. I don't know what you do. Honestly, I have no idea what you do. Justin Tucker, the ultimate man that scares me more than anybody because if I'm giving him the ball and the clock is running down and I give him the chance to kick the ball, it's going in. Like, what are we doing? You can leave the field and go down to the parking lot, get your keys in your car, listen to the rest of the play on the radio, and head out because you know you have already won. I mean, it's ridiculous. I God, what a, what a commodity that must be. The guy is the greatest kicker of all time. He's a joy to watch because every time you see him kick it, it goes right down the middle almost every single time. And the guy knows it. He's confident about it. And it's just, ah, man, it's frustrating as a Vikings fan where I've been looking for that kicker for basically the entire time I've been a fan and you know, Justin Tucker is going to be doing this until he's God knows how long he could be 60 years old doing this. And I don't think he'll, he'll lose a single step. And you know, that's just who the Ravens got. And I think the, the Ravens would gladly let him play until he's six years old and not losing a step. So yeah, I mean, God, Justin Tucker, what a commodity. The guy just, the guy's the goat. He's the greatest of all time of kicking. He's just, there's nobody else like him. You know, Vinatieri missed some in his time. Uh, even though he had some of the biggest of his time, he definitely missed some in his time as well. Justin Tucker, he never missed one in the final minute. Never. 18 for 18. He's never, he's literally been perfect. It's incredible. What a, what a player. Uh, moving on. The Chiefs and the Raiders, that was the Monday night game. Uh, finally, a good primetime Monday night game. It's about time. Thank the gods for that. 
Uh, finally, a good primetime game. Patrick Mahomes, like I said, a wizard. Uh, he was, it, there's no one I trust more with a 17-point deficit to come back and win than Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, even when it doesn't look like they're necessarily clicking on all cylinders. And Travis Kelsey had four touchdowns in the game, but he only had 25 yards, and that felt like maybe they were a little, they weren't uh, as wide open. You know what I mean? Like they weren't they weren't throwing it as, they weren't spreading it out as much as we normally see them do it. And he had four touchdowns. And I was like, uh, Kelsey, Kelsey could be getting more. He could be getting more in this offense. That's how I was thinking because they, they, it felt like, you know, quote unquote, they were a little congested and they weren't. I mean, Kelsey had four touchdowns and it still felt like he could be doing more on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, it was stupid. God, the, yeah, the, the chiefs, nobody I trust more with a 17 point deficit than the chiefs and the Raiders, you know, nothing felt more like a Raiders loss than that situation where you have two of your wide receivers tripping over each other. That, that felt like peak. That felt like peak Raiders loss right there. And, you know, that's that's what happens. They now they've they've lost three in the division. I think at this point, I mean the Chiefs are probably gonna run away with this division as it stands right now if nothing else changes. And I think uh if you're the Raiders, you're at this point basically looking for a wild card. And you still got a lot of catching up to do. One and four to start the season. There's a little, there's I mean, you got ground to make up if you want to make wild card as well. So we'll see what happens with the Raiders. Um I just I don't know what to take from them honestly it feels like every week I'm asking myself is Derek Carr for real and Derek Carr looked for real in this game he played very good and like I'm not going to deny that or anything but you know he has like once every few weeks where he just throws out a stinker just a stinker of a game and then you're like is this really the answer that the Raiders are looking for this is what we want you know Devontae Adams on your team one of the best wide receivers in the game and you know uh, David or Derek Carr is throwing for you know 188 yards that you know well he'll throw in one of those games that make us question everything we thought we knew about Derek Carr so I don't know at this point it's Chiefs Bills in the AFC and that's basically it I don't even care Eagles are solid I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know they're five and zero obviously the only undefeated team left I'm not gonna dispute that at all but they also haven't had to come and play from behind and kind of throw their way out of a deficit we haven't seen that yet we haven't seen them kind of fight the adversity in that sense uh so i don't know if i'm a i'm not a full believer i'm not diving fully into the eagles pool yet just because you know they are five and oh like i said i'll give i'll give them that but we haven't seen them with that facing adversity uh throw their way out of a deficit that sort of thing and they're still kind of it feels like they're still kind of new on the block i mean this is a pretty big turnaround for the eagles one that's um maybe a little too good to be true is what I would say for the Eagles right now. So we'll see what happens with the Eagles, but it feels like Bills, Chiefs, I mean, collision course for the AFC Championship, and that feels like a collision course for whoever wins that game is going to win the big game, if you will. But it is still early, so this could all change in a heartbeat just because of how the game the game is. And that's football, and that's why we love football. Football is football, and it's going to football, and that's what's awesome. Uh, all right, really quickly, we'll talk a little bit college college football, and then we'll get on out of here. Um Cowboys, we'll, we'll talk about Cowboys. Let's talk about Cowboys. Uh, first, I was a little nervous after that first quarter. I was like, oh boy, okay, uh, this isn't good. Went down seven, uh, not, excuse me, seven, 14, nothing. And I was like, wait a minute, uh, Cowboys, what are you doing here? Like, this isn't funny. What, what are you doing? I'm not necessarily a Cowboys fan, but I like watching good football. And uh, New Mexico, not necessarily a great, especially offensive team, not necessarily a great offensive team. And uh, I saw that that score after the first quarter. I was like, what's going on here? I was like, whoa, how is this going on then? Uh, but then Cowboys turned it on, woke up a little bit. Maybe, maybe they came in a little bit, a little bit sleepy, but then second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter held them, held the held New Mexico to a shutout, ended up winning 27 to 10. So 
nothing to worry about. I mean, 27-14, excuse me. 27-14. I mean, there is, you know, I, you know, still a little questionable on offense. I'll, you know, I, I won't deny that or anything. But you're second in the Mountain West. There are things that need to be fixed on the offense. Like I said, I think that was a good game for the defense to kind of get their feet under them because New Mexico has been so bad offensively this season. And just as a whole, they're not a great offensive team. I think that's a good game for the Cowboys defense to really get under themselves before they, uh, you know, they have a bye week this way, but the week after they go to Utah state before they go on and take on Utah, Utah state. That's a good game to kind of get under their feet uh, and get some confidence brewing before they go to Utah state and play Utah state. But you know, they played good defense against Miles Kendrick. He only threw the ball 17 times. He was pretty efficient with it, but I mean, not for a lot. He only went for 170 yards and, and, and threw a pick. He didn't throw a touchdown or anything. So it's not like he lit the scoreboard up or anything like that. And, you know, they are running defense or running offense, you know, pretty much the whole time for a decent amount of the game. But still, I mean, the Cowboys defense was able to do a decent job of locking up their their rushing attack as well. 19 rushes for Miles Kendrick as well. 72 yards and a touchdown there. But other than that, Nathaniel Jones, they're running back 17 rushes, 66 yards, 3.9 average, no touchdowns. So, you know, a decent, decent enough game from the Cowboys. A little, I mean, you want to get rid of that first quarter where you were down 14, nothing, obviously. But, you know, if you can get rid of that, pitch a shutout against it's New Mexico. I think they should have probably pitched New Mexico uh, a shutout against New Mexico because, you know, they Cowboys can beat that team without having them score on them. I, I think I could I could say that pretty confidently. Um, it just felt like it was one of those situations where they still kind of had to kind of wake up a little bit. And then when they did wake up, they ran away with it. And that was that was that for the Cowboys. So they get a bye week this week. They have Cowboys or excuse me, uh, Utah State next week. The Utah State Aggies. We'll see what happens there. We don't have a time for that one yet, but we'll get it here pretty soon. Uh, I'm assuming next week, obviously, by some time. And um, we'll see what happens with the Cowboys against Utah State. Be interesting to see. So that, ladies and gentlemen, we could talk a little bit. I mean, we could talk a little college football if we wanted. There wasn't a whole lot that happened on the college football Saturday that I thought was all that interesting. Texas A&M kept it close against Alabama, but Alabama had their backup quarterback in to get ready for for their starter to get ready. I mean, he was kind of not healthy. Bryce Young was uh, not the health. He was still dealing with a little bit of an injury. So they had their backup quarterback go and you know, they still won, even though it wasn't a stomping or anything like that. Texas A&M had the chance to win that game, uh, but blew it with a terrible play call to try to win that game. And it didn't happen, obviously. Um, so am I surprised? Not really. Uh, that's I mean, Texas A&M, Texas A&M feels like they get their they get Alabama's number better than almost anybody else other than like Georgia. Uh, that's the team that Texas A&M kind of surprises everybody and beats. It feels like once every three years or whatever. That's the team that goes, they go and beat. Obviously, it's usually the number one team in Alabama, but that's that's the team they go and beat at least once a year or whatever. Uh, it didn't happen this year, though, and I'm not too surprised or anything like that. Alabama's still a solid team. They, like I said, backup quarterback in, though, so take it with a grain of salt, obviously. If Bryce Young's in that game, I think Alabama probably runs away with that game. If, he, if he's in that game and is healthy, Alabama probably, probably rolls in that game as well. Other than that, uh, I was sitting there watching a... TCU versus Kansas game that was more important than the Red River rivalry uh, that felt like I was living in the twilight zone. Uh, everything was upside down and it, that was weird. Uh, I didn't necessarily love that in Oklahoma. They got destroyed. So I turned that game on for f- about five seconds. I'll tell you what happened in that game. I'm an Oklahoma fan. For those of you that don't know, they got shut out by Texas. Uh, one of the worst losses that I can remember since being an Oklahoma fan uh, in, I was born in 97. I think I started really watching Oklahoma football in the mid 2000s when I really started like paying attention to it. Um, 
And that's probably the worst loss I think our team has ever I've ever seen as a fan of our team. That team, that game, or and this could be recency bias, obviously that game or the TCU game just two weeks ago was also pretty bad. So my experience with that game was a funny one for me. I turned on that River, Red River rivalry. I'm usually a fan of watching that game because it is so bonkers. Uh, I turned on that game on Saturday and I saw our backup quarterback take uh, run a play action pass on third and 10 and then overthrow our running back in a flat route for an incomplete pass on fourth and to make a fourth of 10. And I turned off the game and I was like, all right, that's it. We're, we were down like 21 to nothing at that point. And I was like, all right, that's uh, that's the game. We're, we're going to lose that game. And that was it. I didn't watch the rest of that game. And if there's any lesson to be learned, don't watch something that it, you're not going to enjoy. That's kind of that's that's the the lesson I learned from that game. I was like, don't watch something that you're forcing yourself to watch. And that's what I did. I turned it off. I went and did something better with my time that I, I enjoyed. And uh, that was the the college football experience for my team on Saturday. So that was fun. We'll see what happens. Uh, like I said, Kansas and Kansas and TCU ended up being a more a much more entertaining game between two ranked schools. We're in the twilight zone, ladies and gentlemen. Everything we're in the upside down. Everything's backwards. Cats and dogs are living together. TCU was 17th ranked. Kansas was 19th ranked, and it was a 38-31 game. That was a ton of fun to watch, and I had no idea what to do with myself. I thought I was watching college basketball. Lo and behold, it's football season. So we'll see what happens. One final time, one final thing to, to bring up. James Madison University, their first season as an FBS school in the football, in uh, D- Division One as an FBS school, I guess is what I should say. They are 5-0, and ladies and gentlemen, and they are ranked 25th in the country in college football. A big congrats to James Madison University. What a cool story that is. 25th ranked as uh, the first season of being even a team in uh, the Division I, in Division I college football, and they are ranked 25th in the country because they are undefeated 5-0, and 3-0 and in the Sun Belt, and... Um, they deserve it. I mean, five and in the crazy season that we've had so far, just in college football in general, five and zero get you a ticket to to uh, to top twenty five. I am totally okay with that. They're you know they don't have the uh, they don't have the strongest schedule. Obviously, I mean Sun Belt, you know, not necessarily the strongest opponents, but some very convincing wins. You know, forty four to seven against MTSU, thirty two twenty eight comeback victory against Appalachian State. I mean, forty to thirteen against Texas State. James Madison, why not give it to them? Sure, they're top twenty five. As well as their other Sun Belt brethren, Coastal Carolina, they probably should be ranked. They're six and zero, but they're not ranked yet. We'll see what happens. Maybe we'll have two Sun Belt teams ranked in the top twenty-five come next week if Coastal Carolina and James Madison both win this weekend. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, props to both those teams, especially James Madison, an incredible by Kurt Signetti, Kignetti, Signetti, excuse me. Uh, what a job by him, head coach for James Madison, first season as not first season as head coach, but first season in Division One football as a head coach for James Madison and five and zero to start the season. You're ranked. I mean, he's probably going to be getting some jobs, job offers down the line. I would not be surprised. They also have an. I mean, uh, they're one of the better offensive teams. Granted, not the best. You know, I will say not the best schedule, obviously. But I mean, they're averaging 274 passing yards per game, 213 rushing yards per game. That's top 20 in the league. Or in the country, 44 points per game. That's four. That's 11th in the country against 15 points against. That's 14th in the country. So, I mean, props to them. They deserve it. They deserve to be a top 25 team. And here we are, fifth week into the season, and they're a top 25 team. So it's cool. That's what's great about college football is you just get this randomness sometimes. And here's James Madison 
first time first time in Division One, and they're a top twenty five team in college football. That's what's great. It's fun to watch. Love college football, even though my team's not very good at the moment. College football is just fun to watch because it's chaos, and I love chaos. That's what we're all here for, ladies and gentlemen. We're here for the chaos. You got to roll with the chaos. Uh, that's going to wrap up the show. We're going to wrap it up here. We're going to try to keep it a little bit shorter than last week because little last week was a little bit long. So we're going to wrap up the show here. Thank you very much for tuning in. Remember to uh, go to Spotify, go to wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please follow. Please follow the podcast. I'd greatly appreciate that. And please hit the give me a rating on the podcast as well. I'd greatly appreciate that as well. That'd be that'd be big time for me uh, on any of your podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, like I said. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can listen to this one and give me a rating. Follow the podcast so you know whenever I upload. I'd appreciate that very much. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. <laughs>